0: Move into our sermon this morning. Also, want to dismiss our kiddos who are in the room with us. So, if you've got young ones with you who are in the primary class, kinder uh, and first, uh, Miss Laquandra is taking them out the back of the room at this time. And then, if you've got young ones with you who are in second through fourth grade, uh, the Miss Michelle and Mr. Trevor are back there to take you to your classroom this morning. You know, Tammy mentioned this morning about how oftentimes we suffer in silence and we bear our burdens alone. And I want you to know that as a church body, we our desire is not that you would is that you would not do that. You don't have to do that. In fact, there. Um, One way that you can not do that is by sharing your prayer needs with us. And there are cards situated around you. And on one side of that card is a place for prayer requests. And if you don't have a card around you, there are cards at the back of the the kiosk. There's also a place on our website. Just go to RedeemerRC.com and you can submit a prayer request there. So let us bear burdens with you and pray with you and alongside of you as you wrestle through the challenges that you face in life in 2024. If you're a guest with us and you'd like some information about our church, there's also on that same card a little place for some information about who, about who you are so we can send you some information about who we are. There's a place on there as well that um, if you want to join our email list, you can just check that and receive weekly updates about things that are going on in the life of the church. Women's ministry events, student ministry events, prayer gatherings, all of those types of things are coming out every week. And so if you're not receiving that, we'd love to be able to share those things with you. If you got a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open with me to 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 to 17 is where we're going to be today as we open this new series entitled disciplined discipleship disciplined discipleship discipleship we've said here at Redeemer before is ordering our everyday ordinary lives around the message and the mission of Jesus. And in order to do that, it requires discipline in our lives, and we're going to look at that over the course of these next six weeks together. But this morning we start this series in Second Timothy chapter two verses, or chapter three. I'm sorry, verses 10 to 17. I'll read it for our hearing this morning. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a copy in front of you, you can follow along there. Second Timothy, chapter three, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes these words to young Timothy. He says, "You." While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, For correction and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Church, I don't know about you. In fact, I do know about you because I know a little bit about human behavior. But we, all of us, have some sort of habits, don't we? Right? We either have good habits, like picking up after ourselves, cleaning our rooms, young people putting clothes in the dirty clothes bin. It's a good habit, right? Absolutely, tidying up after yourself. Some of us have bad habits, right? Some of us may have overextended ourselves, right? Spending more than what we earn over Christmas, and now we're trying to play catch-up on account of that and paying off credit card bills. And some of us have habits that are just downright infuriating to others, right? Like whenever we refuse or fail to change out the, paper towel or toilet paper dispenser roll when it has nothing but cardboard left to it. It's infuriating, isn't it? Amen. Come on, we're going to preach this morning. As one old pastor said, right, you stop preaching and start a meddling. Now listen, one of the things we need to recognize about our habits, regardless of what they are, is that our habits are not meaningless. Our habits right? They shape us. For instance, if you leave that empty cardboard cylinder on the roller, it means that you're not thinking about the next person who's going to need to use that facility after you did. You're only thinking about yourself. You have a self-focused perspective, right? That habit comes from a self-focused perspective, and you know what it does? It also reinforces that self-focused perspective as you carry forward in life. It's a very small habit, but it shapes much larger behaviors in our lives. That's how habits work. They're oftentimes very small things, but they shape and form us in much larger ways. See, as you change the paper towel roll out or the toilet paper roll out, some of you are like, man, what's going on in that home? (laughs) Right? It, It shapes you into becoming the kind of person who thinks about others rather than just about yourself. See, so often we think that what shapes us or what forms us are very large, either fortunate or unfortunate events in our lives. Now, I do not want to discount the power or shaping influence of those large unfortunate or fortunate events. They can shape us in very profound ways. So I don't want to discount those things. There are heartbreaking events that happen to us in our lives that shape us or very big decisions that we might make like whom we will marry. They're going to shape and form us and have an impact on us for the rest of our lives. However, it's much more common, much more common for our daily habits, our daily decisions, our daily disciplines to shape our lives. And listen, we see this all the time in our physical health, all the time. Now, I live with a diabetes educator, so I know a little bit about the disease. I've heard about that disease over the course of the 20-some-odd years of marriage. I know. Treading on thin ice. But listen, if, if someone with type 2 diabetes, which oftentimes comes about because of lifestyles, if okay? someone with type 2 diabetes decides one day, when they wake up in the morning, that they're going to, that day, eat a healthy, balanced diet, and they're gonna go to the gym, and they're gonna get on the treadmill, and they're gonna walk for 30 minutes, their a A1C, okay? Now, for those of you who don't know, an A1C is the measure of their blood sugar levels average over the course of a three-month span, okay? A normal level is below 5.7. It's a healthy range. Diabetics are 6.5 and higher, right? So there's a window in there, of pre-diabetic stage. But if a Type two diabetic decides one day they're gonna eat a healthy diet and they're gonna get on the treadmill for 30 minutes. They are not going to magically and monumentally lower their A1C from 7.2 to 5.6 overnight. That is not the way that it works. And here's why because it took months, perhaps even years, of habits in their lives to get them to the place in which they are in full-blown diabetes. So as a result, it takes months of new habits in their lives to bring them back into a healthy space. In fact, In fact, fact, nutritionists and diabetic educators will tell you it takes three months to change your A1C significantly. Three months of new habits. Three months of healthy eating. Three months of consistent exercise. And listen, this is amazing to me because the way God has wired our bodies is also similar to the way that he's wired our minds. Listen to this. Behavioral psychologists tell us this. And when they speak of the 2190 rule, they say if you want to establish a habit in your life, it takes about 21 days of doing that thing consistently in order to establish a habit. But if you want to make a lifestyle change, it takes 90 days. You do something consistently for 90 days and it brings about a lifestyle change. Isn't it interesting physically how God has wired our bodies, psychologically how God has wired our minds? Maybe I'm just the only one who's interested by that. (laughs) But that 90 days, it becomes a change of life for us. Now, church, I have a question for you this morning. What is your spiritual A1C? What is the measure of your spiritual health going into 2024? Some of us would say we're below 5.7, and though we're not perfect, we're healthy, we're growing in our faith. We're pressing into God. Some of us might say, "You know what? I'm at a 6.1. I'm kind of in that pre-diabetic stage. I've got some issues, some challenges, right? Some poor habits that I formed over the years." And some of us would say, "Man, I'm in full-blown diabetes, and I need, I need a diabetic educator to help hold my hand and make some significant changes over the next 90 days." Now, no, the good news is this, is that no matter where you are on that scale, you can make progress in your spiritual health by changing your daily habits. So over the next month and a half, as we open 2024 together, we're going to consider six habits that g- older Christians would have called a means of grace. Other Christians might call them spiritual disciplines. We might, I might call them holy habits in our lives, these habits that form and shape us that Christians have given themselves to for thousands of years to be conformed to the image of Christ. So we're gonna consider six of these over the course of the next six weeks. And these habits, listen, they're not magic, but what they do is they put us in a position, even as Tammy talked earlier, to commune with God, to commune with Him, to speak to God, to hear from God, draw close to God and as we draw close to God The closer that we draw to him, the more that we press into him and hear from him and speak to him and commune with him. As Paul would say in his letter to the Corinthians, we move from one degree of glory to another as we behold the face of Jesus Christ and become conformed to his image. So our spiritual A1C is lowering over the course of time as we institute these new habits and our spiritual health is climbing. And so this morning, I want to look at this text that we've read together in 2 Timothy and consider the first of those habits, which is the holy habit of reading the Bible so we might be shaped by God's word. Now, when Paul writes to young Timothy, Timothy's pastoring a church in Ephesus, a church that the apostle Paul has planted And Timothy is now pastoring. And yet as Timothy's pastoring, he's pastoring in a day and age in which false teachers were beginning to emerge and rise in the church. In fact, you see a hint of that in the text that we read this morning in verse 12 when Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters, who are those? False teachers trying to move their way into positions of influence in the church. They will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Tammy prayed about this earlier, shared about this earlier. In her prayer, this is the this is not Paul's day. Timothy's day is not all that different from our own. And so, Paul's counsel to Timothy that rang true in the first century still rings true in the twenty first century, in the life of a church, and the life of an individual believer. And his counsel to Timothy is this: Remain in the Word. Remain in the Word. Look in verse fourteen. There's a command that Paul gives to Timothy, and he says this, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Continue in it. Continue in it. That word can also be translated abide in it, live in it, remain in it, be rooted in it. What you have learned, what has been taught to you, which has come to be a settled conviction in your heart that you firmly believe, that is based upon the Word of God. And it's interesting that Paul says, com- He gives him a command, not a suggestion. He doesn't say, Hey, Timothy, listen, this is what I found works for me. You need to go find what works for you. No, Paul says, This is where it works for all people, in all places, at all times. Do it. Continue, remain in the Word. As I said, his context is not all that different from our own. He's encouraging Timothy to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Paul says in a day in which things are going from bad to worse and there's all kinds of deceptions circulating in that kind of day, in this kind of day, remain in the Word because it's vital to your spiritual health. And you'll become sick and malnourished without it. Listen, let me ask you a question. If you went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have a heart issue, but there is a medication that I can prescribe to you. And if you took that medication every day, every day is going to allow you to live a full, healthy life. What would you do? Would you go, (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about, man. Is that what you would say? Or would you say, give me the prescription. I want the prescription. I'm going to the pharmacy. I've got my insurance. I'm going to set that puppy up on automatic refills to dispense every time I run out. And when they call me, I'm gonna go get it. If my pharmacy doesn't have it, I'm gonna seek out another pharmacy that does and bring them my insurance card and the prescription, and I'm gonna get that medication because I know it's gonna help me live a full, healthy, vital life. You would take it. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our hearts are sick. And he says, who can understand them? The things that they do, the things that they want, the desires that emerge in them, who can understand them? And yet I tell you, church, God has given a prescription for those sick hearts. It is the revelation of himself through his word. And when we neglect it, when we don't seek it out from pharmacy to pharmacy, on a daily basis, we do so to our own detriment. Now Paul here, I believe, he gives Timothy four reasons to stay in the Word, to remain in the Word. And the first one is this. Listen, the Word is powerful in the first part of verse 16 we read all scripture is breathed out by God that word literally means it's God expired right that God has breathed it out that God has spoken it to be and if the scriptures are expired by God by the very mouth of God the very breath of God then they are inspired by God now, it's not that God took control of these human authors and they became like robots writing. No, He carried them along as He inspired His words to be written through their personalities into their context. And yet, everything that we have in the canon of Scripture has been inspired by God because it's been breathed out by Him. And listen, when God speaks and God breathes, things happen. You go all the way back into Genesis chapter 1, and whenever we read, in the beginning was what? Was God. And then what does God do in order to bring everything that is to be? He speaks. God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. Over and over and over and over again. The very words of God bring things into existence that did not formerly exist. You jump forward to the Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, whenever God forms the man from the dust of the ground, right? Now I know this isn't, is a big term, right? An anthropomorphism, right? Some of you are like, what? Right? That's just basically assigning human types of descriptions to God. It doesn't have a body, right? But it envisions God f- taking his hands, forming the man from the dust of the earth, and then he leans down and he puts his mouth over the mouth of the man and he goes... <sighs> And the Bible says that he breathes life into his nostrils and the man becomes a living soul. He speaks everything into being. He breathes life into our first parents. Then you get to the book of Ezekiel. Right? And you got wheels spinning and all kinds of things, but later on in the book of Ezekiel, you got God telling Ezekiel, I want you to go. He takes Ezekiel to this vision of this valley of dry bones. Just tons of skeletons, right? More than you can see in Wood Creek at Halloween. <laughs> and he shows him this valley of dry bones and he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I don't know. <laughs> Only you know, God. And what does he tell him to do? Prophesy, preach to the bones. And as Ezekiel begins to speak the words of God, all of a sudden, right, them dry bones start rattling, <laughs> and they start coming together, and being formed into people. And then all of a sudden, like, I can imagine, like, the greatest special effects producer out there, right, would love to get his hands on that image, right, of... F- sinews and ligaments and muscles beginning to grow and skin coming, organs beginning to beat, eyes beginning to fall, all of this stuff going on because the word of God brings forth life. It's powerful. I remember years ago in Russia on a mission trip, traveling from flat to flat they call their apartments all right so apartment to apartment in these massive massive housing projects essentially and meeting with people christians and asking them about how they came to know jesus under communist rule and so often their story was this they were going through a friend or a loved one's belongings in some trunk or a closet or even under floorboards of a home. And they found a Bible. And they just be- they'd never seen a Bible before. So they began to read the Bible. And they began to read the Bible more and, and devour its pages or even the very little shreds or parts of Bibles they could get their hands on. They began to read them. And listen, they began to read them without commentaries. And they began to read them without community around them oftentimes with a church body supporting them. They began to read them without podcasts or sermon tapes. They just began to read the bare words of God. And they began convinced that they were created in the image of God and fallen beings who had sinned against Him, but that God had sent His Son to save them, and they placed their faith and confidence in Jesus and were born again because they began to read the book. Story after story after story. See, the word is the means God uses to bring dead people to life. The Holy Spirit's the agent. He's the one working, but the word is the means that the Spirit uses. The word is also the means that God uses to bring hope to people who are in despair, light to people who are in darkness, because the word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God's word is powerful. Stay in it. Second. Second. The word is profitable Listen, later in verse 16 we read that this God-breathed scripture, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now if something's profitable for us, it means it's beneficial, okay? It does us some kind of good. And, And things can be profitable for us or beneficial for us in a variety of ways, okay? So I wanna clarify how the word is beneficial for us. All right? Listen, so some of you are going to write me an email, all right? <laughs> but all the ladies in the room would say, makeup is beneficial, right? It is beneficial. It's profitable for us, right? So when we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we put on a little blush, or maybe some whatever you put on your eyes, all those kinds of things, right? right? Because you're, oftentimes you're trying to conceal some of the imperfections on your face so you can make a presentable face to the world. So it has a benefit. It's profitable in some capacity in, order, in, in, in the sense that it covers our imperfections. But that is not the way that the word is beneficial for us. It's not. Listen, I have a very old 1987 Ranger bass boat Okay, with a 1996 two-stroke outboard engine. Now, those old two-stroke outboard engines were never made to run on ethanol-blended fuels. That's about all you can find these days, though. Right? And whenever I put ethanol-blended fuel into that two-stroke engine, without it seems like sometimes I'm putting as much additives into the gas tank as I am putting gasoline into the gas tank. Right? But whenever I put ethanol gas in there, I've got to put all kinds of additives in order for that engine to be able to run because with that ethanol, it gums up the fuel injectors, the fuel pumps, all kinds of things on those old two-stroke engines. But non-ethanol fuel doesn't create any of those issues. Non-ethanol fuel is beneficial. It's profitable to that outboard engine because it gives it the fuel that it needs to run as best as it possibly can. And when I say the word is profitable, it is not profitable in the way that makeup is profitable. It is profitable in the way that non-ethanol fuel is profitable to an old two-stroke engine. It fuels us. Helps us move forward. It is profitable. And Paul says it is profitable in two broad ways. First of all, it builds our doctrine. Paul says scripture is profitable for teaching and for reproof. Those two words in the New Testament are used to describe the transmission of information, what we believe or our doctrine. See, there is a faith once for all delivered to the saints, and it's found in the scriptures, and whatever contradicts them, we should reject. Charles Spurgeon he said it this way. He said, if your creed and Scripture do not agree, cut your creed to pieces, but make it agree with this book. But it also builds our devotion. See, Scripture is profitable for correction and training in righteousness. These two words in the New Testament oftentimes express and describe our practice, our lifestyle, the way that we live, our devotion to God. And so when you encounter something in the Word as you're reading that you feel like needs to be taken out, stop and ask yourself this question because there's lots of people who would say, man, we could take all these things out of the Bible. It would be a great book. But you stop and ask yourself this question. Does this need to be cut out of the Word or does this Word need to cut something out of me? Scripture is profitable and that it gives us the fuel we need to run on because it's building our doctrine. It's building our devotion. It's correcting. It's training. It's teaching. It's reproving. Third, the scriptures are productive. They're productive. Like, what's the difference? In verse 17, we read that God's aim in giving us the scriptures, not only for our information, but for our transformation. This is what he says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's aim in giving us this book is that we might be fully qualified and equipped for all the good works he's prepared for us in advance. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves so that no one may boast. So it's not because you were good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, enough people liked you that God accepted you. No, it's sheer grace and your faith in Jesus Christ, not by your works. But then Paul goes on to say in verse 10 that he's done this so that you might walk in the good works that he's prepared for you in advance. In other words, God saved you here because he had something for you to do there. It's one of the reasons that he has saved you so that you could walk in those good works. And and Paul says to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus, The only way you're going to walk in those good works is if you're complete and equipped for them. And that comes through the Word. See, the Word is productive in our lives in that it qualifies us. It strengthens us. It gives us the skills that we need to do the things that God has prepared for us to do. God's got something for you if you're a believer in Christ this morning. It was a part of his purpose in redeeming you. That you would walk in those things. You know what that means? That you would live it out. Live out your faith in very real, tangible, and practical ways. I want you to think about all the good works that God has for his children to walk in. and The scriptures qualify us for all of them. In fact, Paul will say elsewhere that God has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. Think about the works of sanctification, working out our salvation through the killing of sin with the sword of the Spirit. Are there sins that you're struggling with as you move into 2024? I want to tell you, you will never gain victory over them apart from the Word. Never. What about evangelism, the good work of sharing our faith? Com- seeing the conversion of souls by the sowing and watering of seeds. Again, it's the Holy Spirit who is the agent. The word is the means. That's what's being planted and sown and watered into the lives of people. What about service? The good works of serving others. The, where do you get the motivation to do that? It is spurred. We're spurred on to love and good deeds as we meet together under the word and share it and read it. Encouragement, the breathing of life into those who are struggling. Listen, what are you going to say to someone who, who does take the step of opening up and being vulnerable? What are you going to say to them? Let go and let God. No. You're to know, speak life to them from the very Word of God. It is productive. Finally, Paul says, it's personal. See, the Bible, church, is ultimately about a person. It's ultimately about a person. In verse 15, Paul says the Scriptures, called the, he calls the sacred writings, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, listen, it's interesting to note at this point that Paul, when he says the sacred writings, he's not speaking of Ephesians. He's not speaking of Colossians. He's not speaking of Romans or Corinthians. He's not speaking of Jude or Philemon. He's not speaking of anything that Peter wrote, anything that James wrote, anything that John wrote. He's not speaking of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or the book of Acts, the history of the early church. He's not speaking of the book of Revelation that John writes on the Isle of Patmos. He is speaking of the Old Testament, the sacred writings. He says the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Wisdom is not just the acquisition of knowledge, but it's acting upon the knowledge that you acquire. So he says the sacred writings, the Old Testament scriptures are able to lead you to place your faith and confidence in Jesus. Because the Old Testament ultimately is about him. It's like a road map to the Redeemer. I love the way. that Former pastor Tim Keller said it. This, he said it so beautifully, so often. I can't do any better, so I'm just gonna read it to you. He says this, he says, Jesus, he is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abram, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up on the mountain and sacrificing him and say, Now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who, at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends, which is us. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a sling or a stone to slay the giant and accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate heavenly one and who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover Lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so that the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible really isn't about you. It's about him. Thank you, Tim Keller. If you want to know Jesus, you gotta open the book. Gotta open the book. It's personal. As you see him on the pages of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you see him more clearly. Listen, and I know this is true from my experience and many of yours. As you see Jesus more clearly on the pages of Scripture, your love for him deepens your loyalty to him heightens. And you are indeed, as you behold his face, transformed from one degree of glory to another, and your spiritual A1C starts dropping. So how do we do this? i got three things for you this morning. They're going to be quick, so pay attention. First, you've got to Move from sporadic to systematic reading. Listen, we can be sporadic and we can open a verse of the Bible like once a month or whenever we're having a hard time, but if you really want to see your spiritual health move, move in the right direction, you've got to move to systematic reading. And I would encourage you, in order to read systematically, adopt some kind of Bible reading plan. There are no shortage of them. Okay? The Bible Project has phenomenal reading plans tied to video resources. Ligonier Ministries, the ministries that former uh, Pastor uh, R.C. Sproul launched, has an assortment of all kinds of plans. We sent a Bible reading plan to your life group leaders earlier this week, which re- takes you through the big story of the Bible. And helps you see, it takes Old Testament and New Testament texts and bring them together so you can see God's redemptive purposes throughout history from Genesis to Revelation. So maybe you would adopt that plan. Make it a daily habit by adopting a plan, but also make it a communal habit to be more systemic in it. Make it a life group project. What if your life group adopted a reading plan together that you were reading the same things? So that when you come together week after week, month after month, perhaps God is saying to you some similar things through the same verses that you're reading as you commune with Him. But not only that, in addition, in an article titled Five Triggers That Make New Habits Stick, behavioral psychologist by the name of James Clear said that one of those. Triggers that make habits stick is doing it with other people. Listen to what he says. It's probably no surprise to you that the people you surround yourself with can play a role in your habits and behaviors. What may be a surprise is just how big of an impact these people can make. Listen listen to this statistic. One study in the New England Journal of Medicine. This is not some crackpot research thing on Wikipedia. The New England Journal of Medicine found that if your friend becomes obese, then your risk of obesity increases by 57%, even if your friend lives hundreds of miles away. He says, as far as I can tell, the best way to make use of this information is to surround yourself with people who have the habits you want to have yourself. Then he quotes another behavioral psychologist who says, you you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's how much of an influence they have on your life. And he says, if you want to make a new habit stick, do it with other people. Make it a communal habit together, systematically with a plan. Second, move from casual to careful reading. From casual to careful reading. An old Puritan pastor by the name of William Gurnall said, "If you, if you want your hope of salvation to rise to any strength and to be solid, he says, study the Word of God diligently. The Christian is bred by the Word, and he must be fed by the Word." Now, to move from casual to careful reading of the Bible means move from reading just devotionally to reading diligently, and that involves studying the Bible, studying the Scriptures. And we wanna help you with that. After Easter, from April 3rd to May 8th, we're gonna host a a, a midweek seminar called Understanding the Bible. We did it a number of years ago. We're gonna do it again. To help you get the tools in your tool belt to be able to study the scriptures well. To work through an inductive method of observing what the text says, interpreting what the text says, and applying what the text says in your life. So we're gonna teach through that. Carrie Uland has graciously agreed to co-teach that with me. and I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be a blast. You ought to be here. In particular, I'd love to see men here learning how to study the Bible in 2024. Are men growing in their faith, becoming spiritually healthy as leaders in their home. What else are you gonna do on Wednesday night? Watch Dancing with the Stars? Come learn how to study the Bible with us. Be equipped to do that. Third and final, move from reading the Scriptures to doing them. In verses 10 and 11, Paul reminds Timothy of what he, Timothy, has seen in him, Paul. Paul. Listen to what he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. In other words, Paul says, Tim, I think he probably called him Tim, Tim, you've seen what I've taught, you see how I've lived, my aspirations, my faith, how patient I have been, how I've loved others how I persevered and stood in the face of opposition and affliction and persecution. Tim, you've also seen how others have become worse and worse in their conduct, and their teaching has become more and more deceptive, and they're even self-deceived about what they're presenting. So Tim, if you want a ministry like mine, know you're gonna be persecuted but remain in the word. Hold fast to what you've been taught because my conduct, listen, has flowed from the content that I've delivered to you as I've tried to live what I teach. See, if we're truly to be shaped by the word, we have to move from reading to doing. We have to move from being hearers of the word as the half-brother of Jesus says in James 1.22 to being doers of the word. And not hearers only and if we're going to do that listen we must humble ourselves before the word of god humble ourselves charles spurgeon again said never be afraid of your bibles if there is a text of scripture you dare not meet I love the way he says it you dare not meet it humble yourself till you can And What keeps us from humbling ourselves, church, is pride. And pride, listen, it's like spiritual Kevlar. It's like spiritual Kevlar. You know what Kevlar is? It's things that bulletproof vests are made out of. That those in the military and law enforcement that will put these things on, in order to s- to stop a bullet from penetrating their vital organs, reaching their heart. Pride. Listen, it's like spiritual Kevlar. When we're filled with pride, the word may go forth. We may read it. We may hear it. It may be preached to us. But it doesn't penetrate our heart. Because we're already thinking about all the objections that we have to it. And how we dare not meet it. And Spurgeon says, humble yourself until you can. Humble yourself until you can. And I pray in 2024 we would be a church that would humble ourselves until we can. Remain in the word. Remain, it is vital to your spiritual health. Create a systematic habit with others. Learn to study the Bible. And then what you see in its pages, walk it out in life. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. That you chose to be so gracious and kind as to give it to us. As to not conceal yourself from us or hide yourself from us. But reveal yourself to us in the pages of scripture. I pray that as we remain in it in 2024 develop a habit that we would experience its power in our lives that it would be productive for us and giving us the fuel that we need to build our understanding of you and to devote ourselves more fully to your purposes that it be profitable It would equip us for the things that you have destined us for. And that in its pages, we might clearly see the face of Jesus and come to know him and be transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. May we make it a habit that is systematic and communal. That is a diligent study. And may we be doers of what we see and learn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand this morning as we sing in response to what God has said. And I want to just say one word to you before we begin singing. Tammy said in her prayer earlier leading us that if there are things in your life that you need prayer for do not be shy about them it's not the word that she used the word I'm going to use do not be shy about them press in I want to tell you after the service this morning when we give the benediction I'm going to be here I'll ask Tammy to be here I'll ask Keith to be here and if you need prayer this morning it would bring our hearts great joy to pray for you. Even if you don't know what that prayer is, just come and say, pray for me. Pray for me. So we'll be here. Allow us the privilege of ministering to you in that way. Do you join us as we seek. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.